4: we've got a number of guys that could not stand to have sweat on the ball uh you know and it's uh tom's got a very unique way with the towels and the talcum powder and you know ryan ryan's the center so he's he's buying in uh, they they kind of got that worked out over at berkeley and uh yep. you know when we're outside it's hard to keep them dry well there's a lot of sweat going on and uh so yeah it's it's fun but uh you know, sooner or later, it's going to be a wet one. You got to throw it, and Tom gets pissed if it's not a spiral. So, uh, th- that, that's going to happen sometimes.
1: Bruce Arians on a Thursday morning talking about the thing that I'm surprised he didn't mention by name, given Bruce Arians' proclivity for dabbling right. in words that you shouldn't say on TV, Chris. One of the perils of playing professional football in Florida in August when the ball is present and the center is a hot and sweaty and the ball gets placed in a spot where some of the sweat can get transferred onto it before the quarterback gets it into his hands, otherwise known as Swamp Ass. Swamp Ass. Uh, our first official training camp. You know it's training camp, and it just shows you it took us – Three months, or not three months, but three weeks to get to the point where they're actually talking about that. But uh, it's, as you said, I think from the moment Tom Brady saw with the Buccaneers, it's something he's going to have to be thinking about at some point, and it, apparently
2: he is. It is. It's a really underrated factor of playing quarterback there <laughs> in Tampa Bay, because, you know, you don't think about that, right? You think, oh, it's Florida. You know, it must be great to play football down there, you know, every day, you know, palm trees, sunny, right? It's great. You know, and for a guy like Brady, who, you know, to me is a legend, I mean, we know that, but even more of a legend than he gets credit for because of all the success he had in New England. I mean, up in New England with all those elements. But it, it's real, Mike. Like you heard Bruce Arians say, he likes to throw spirals. Yeah, I like to throw, I used to like to throw spirals too. But there would be times in a game or in a, in a you know, training camp, 11 on 11 type. Uh, you know, scrimmage or whatever, I would get the ball and it would just be like, oh, no, you know, the ball would be soaked. It'd be like, you know, carrying a wet watermelon. And I would go, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to, like, throw this with any velocity or power, spin it that way. And it would be, all right, let's just get a completion. Let's just try to make sure it gets to the target. But it'll be a real issue for him, especially in September and early August. And then you get out of that time period there and your center's butt doesn't get quite as uh, swampy. <laughs> I assume you mean early October since early August has already come and gone. Yes, yes, early October.
1: What can you do about it? Is there anything you can do about it other than do everything you can to keep the ball dry? Would a glove help?
2: Yeah, I mean, a glove sometimes, but sometimes the ball can get so wet that the glove will even be like overpowered by Because this it's a double whammy. This is what's really going on is the center, right? He's coming up to the line of scrimmage. He gets the ball straight. They take about 15 seconds at the line of scrimmage. So why the ball's sitting there, his face and everything are sweating on the ball, let alone then his arm and hand. And then when he does actually snap the ball, you know it's very wet down there in the nether regions, right? So then he's got those type of issues, but Brady's tactic is a good one. And one that i really didn't know a lot about Mike, but what I would used to do, and I got this from Brad Johnson, who was the the Bucks QB before me is he would make the center change his pants at halftime of a game. And even during certain periods of practice where, you know, whether it was shorts or pants, it just didn't matter. You were, he was so soaked. You'd go, man, man, you got to change for me. I mean, you're going to, it's going to ruin the practice we got to do something. So that would be another thing I would say. And I know uh, their center, Jensen's probably not going to like that because that's a pain in the butt for a big, offensive, sweaty, sticky offensive lineman running at halftime, which is not long in the NFL, and then having to rip their pants off and get redressed. Oh, man, my center, John Wade, I swear he used to look at me during halftime like he wanted to just absolutely kick my butt because he couldn't believe he had to do it. Of course, Brad Johnson was well known for putting on an entirely new
1: uniform himself at halftime. Sweatmaster, top to bottom, everything he put on an entire new uniform at halftime of <laughs> <Yes>. every game, <laughs> uh, and you got twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. It's not a to lot. Leave the field, get to the locker room, change, get back out, and get ready to go. Right. Twelve minutes. Um, so uh, we'll see how Tom Brady does with that. He'll as be the Tampa fine. Bay Buccaneers get ready to start their first season with him. As the starting quarterback, Rodney Harrison, who played with Tom Brady in New England, will join us for a couple of segments coming up later in the program. We're going to have a draft of the top running back duos in the NFL. We did pass-rushing duos earlier this week. It'll be our last draft of the week with Chris present because it's Thursday for the rest of us, and as usual, it's Friday Yeah, Chris, so we're going to send Chris into the weekend with a bang. Let's get to what you need to know. Developments every day in the NFL as training camp continues and as the push proceeds to the start of the regular season three weeks from today. DeAndre Hopkins would have been playing that opening night in Kansas City as a member of the Houston Texans. He's been traded to the Cardinals and has yet to get his new contract. He claimed he's not holding out. Of course, he isn't holding out. He's with the team. We raised the question, is he holding in? In other words, is he refusing to practice until he gets his contract? Well, if he was, he isn't anymore. And Chris, I've confirmed, he is currently not represented. Okay. He parted ways with CAA back in June. He has no representation right now. So I don't know who's giving him advice. I don't know who's telling him maybe you shouldn't practice, maybe you should. Regardless, he is. Is this a sign they're moving toward getting a deal done? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. The bottom line is he's back at practice, and that's good news for Cardinals fans who want to get the most out of DeAndre Hopkins in his first year with the team.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, no doubt. I mean, this is a a huge trade, a huge move for the Arizona Cardinals football team, a huge year for Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. So, you know, they they want their best team out there ready to go. I, I mean... To me, it's one of those things right now that looks like at least the situation was addressed over the last few days. I don't know who DeAndre Hopkins you know, is going to go with as an agent or anything like that. You know, as you know. I think he's going it alone. He might be. I think he's,
1: I think he's doing what Laramie Tunsil did. Right. There's a couple of guys Laramie Tunsil used to advise him. And that's kind of the new thing that guys do when they represent themselves. They want to pay somebody by the hour. They don't want to give somebody a piece of the yeah, commission. Right. So they find somebody out there who will advise them. And there was a suggestion that he's using the same guy as Tunsell did. So so I think he's, I think he's not going to hire somebody. Okay. I, I think that he's just going forward like this.
2: Well, you know, first off, he's a smart guy. He knows, you know, the league. He's been around. Not to say that I ever recommend, as we've talked about, any player representing themselves in a contract situation because I think that is a little dicey. But – regardless i think his point got across here and whatever his approach was that you know the the you wrote about it other media outlets are talking about it so It's on the Arizona Cardinals, you know, radar once again to go, wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. we don't want to disgruntle this guy. You know, maybe it was one of those things they swept under the rug just figuring, hey, we'll figure it out here sometime soon. And DeAndre Hopkins was like, no, we need to figure it out here, you know, real soon. I'm not going to like wait until the middle of the season or something like that. So, uh, uh, you know, I would be shocked, Mike, would be absolutely shocked if we don't hear some sort of long term deal for DeAndre Hopkins sometime here in the next three, four weeks.
1: Yeah, look, he, he made the wheel squeak, Yeah, and simple. right. And the Cardinals had plenty of other things they're focused on, and it's very easy to forget about that one thing that's going to cost you a lot of money, and if the guy isn't clamoring for it, well, we'll just keep moving forward and we won't worry about it until we have to. Well, he made that squeaking wheel— And now something – you're right. I think something's gone on. Right. Because it's not like there was some overwhelming avalanche of media criticism of DeAndre Hopkins saying, how dare you? How dare you hold in? If anything, the attitude was, yeah. What would you expect? What he's doing. Right. Yeah. And and when you trade for the guy because he wants Julio Jones money plus, when you know that, that that's why the Texans are letting him go – you bring him in, you better understand that you're gonna have to give this guy a new contract at some point, ideally before week one, but most of these guys want to get the deals in place before they put themselves in harm's way in training camp. Period. So he's at sixteen right. four, I think. Sixteen four or sixteen two. We've got the graphic. Julio Jones is at twenty two. I mean, it's a big jump to get all the way up there. 16-2 DeAndre Hopkins is, tied with Brandon Cooks, Adam Thielen. He's better than both of those guys by far, frankly. I'll do respect to Cooks and Thielen, Agreed. but they know. They, Agreed. they, they Agreed. know. Yeah. They know they're not DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Julio Jones up at the top at 22, Amari Cooper at 20. DeAndre Hopkins is significantly better than Amari Cooper at 20. Now, I, Cooper I get, yeah. got to the market, and the Cowboys signed him while he was on the market, but it's a big jump. But again, the Cardinals had to know when they signed, when they traded for DeAndre Hopkins going to have to do it at some point it looks like they have to do it some point soon
2: yeah uh, they're gonna and and you know I mean arguably already you know he's, he's in the you know, these are the kind of guys you don't want to piss off in an organization and especially when they first been traded there and you know they don't know everybody yet you just you, you'd want to set the right tone and you know of course we know the Cardinals are playing through their offense that's what they're going to do you hope the defense is better and good and all those type of things but we know this is a team that wants to get in the shotgun, spread it out, throw the football, and DeAndre Hopkins, you could argue, is the best player on their football team, even though he hasn't played a snap for them yet. So, you know, you know, I, and I understand Kyler Murray and Chandler Jones are awesome. I'm not trying to disrespect them, but you know what I'm trying to say here. So uh, I, I would just think he is such a big part you know, all the assets they traded to get him, and then he's just a big part of their future and framing the organization and Kyler Murray's career and everything like that. And they're gonna play through the spread pass game and all that. Um they, yeah, they're playing with fire if they don't get something done real real soon. Vikings
1: running back Dalvin Cook neither held out nor held in, although the Vikings had been holding him out of practice while they worked on an extension. The talks have broken off between the Vikings and Cook as Cook tries to get his second contract after three NFL seasons, two of which were marred by injury. Last year, he played in, I think, 14 games, had 1,100 rushing yards. When he played, he played at a high level. The challenge now becomes giving him a contract that properly meshes with the rest of the market. He wants it now. The Vikings are willing to pay him a certain amount now. Maybe they'd pay him more later. Maybe they'd pay him more if he has another great season. I don't know how that's going to play out. Last year, we saw Derrick Henry finish his rookie contract, Chris, and then get the franchise tag and then get a long-term deal. Dalvin Cook may have to do the same. The question becomes, moving forward, if the Vikings' attitude is, look, we've made our offer, it is what it is, and you either continue to play under the final year of your rookie deal or you take what we have on the table – Will he be inclined to hold himself out of games if he's banged up? You know, running backs are always banged up. And this is where we get into that realm of can you still play? Yes, but you don't have long-term security. So that incremental risk of a serious injury that happens when you play with an injury, he's not willing to accept that. That may be something the Vikings have to deal with this year. So we may see some weeks Potentially, where it's the Alexander Madison show, which gives the Vikings a chance to make the decision. You know what? We got this guy under contract through 2022. We'll just stick with Madison if it comes down to it next year. So it's a dangerous game if Cook plays it. I think because so. He's giving his backup a chance to show what he can do, and maybe he can do as much or more than Dalvin Cook.
2: No doubt about it. Especially with you know, uh, you know the run-centric you know approach that Zimmer and Kubiak want to take, and, and you know I, I would think that's part of the reason why Cook's there, Mike. I think he realizes he's smart enough to go. Damn, that guy behind me is really damn good. He rips off you know thirteen hundred yards in a year where I'm not there. That's not going to be good for my reputation. Uh, So Dalvin Cook is in a different position than some of the other running backs we've seen in this position over the last few years. Where you know Levy on Bell, you know that situation. Hey, there was nobody else in Pittsburgh. He was the guy. So yeah, he held out and whatever else, but he was the guy. He had the team. You know, he had their feet over the fire. Ezekiel Elliott, we were go- last year going, damn, they don't sign Ezekiel Elliott. Who the hell are they going to play at running back? I mean, are they going to play this rookie? You know, I mean, you know, so it got to that. Derrick Henry, it's a similar situation. That's not the situation in Minnesota. And that hurts Dalvin Cook, and I don't like to say that, but I do think it forces his hand a little bit uh, to have to play because of the talent of the guy that's there next to him. So, you know, hopefully in his way, he could just be happy to share carries this year and do things like that and not totally crush his body with 300-plus carries or something to where he can still be fresh and have a career into his second contract and capitalize off that because he is grossly underpaid right now for you know, the class of running back he's in. You, know, you could argue he's better than Le'Veon Bell right now, right? Le'Veon Bell making that money. David Johnson, you're going to argue he's definitely better than David Johnson as we sit here right now. So there's a class of guys in front of him where he's looking at and going, damn, that's screwed up. I'm better than them, and I'd like to get paid, but I don't think it's going to happen here. Both,
1: however, are cautionary tales for the Vikings. David Johnson got the contract that tied the Cardinals' hands to the point where they weren't going to be able to get rid of him. He had a $10 million guaranteed salary this year, the guarantee vested last year. Their hands were tied. The fact that they were able to get any value for him as part of that DeAndre Hopkins trade is amazing. And the Le'Veon Bell contract, I mean, the Jets wouldn't do that again if they had a no, chance to do it again. No, they would not. Adam Gase didn't want to do it in the first right, place. Right, we know they that. Got, they got conned to a certain extent, and I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. They allowed themselves to think that the Ravens were at the table with a similar offer, and they weren't. Yes. They were not. And the Jets got squeezed into paying Le'Veon Bell $12 million plus per year, and I think both teams, Cardinals with Johnson, Jets with Bell – have remorse for that after the fact. And I think the Vikings don't want to be in that spot. That's the problem. That's the challenge. And when you look at what Melvin Gordon got when he finally reached the open market, Chris, you know, the reality is your best chance to get big money as a running back is with the team that you already were playing for. It's hard to get it on the open market because these other teams don't want to be the next team where everyone's saying, I told you so. Right. And it seems like with most of these running back contracts... We're just, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten months away from saying "I told you so." Yeah. So uh, that's the challenge, and with Alexander Madison there, who had more yards per carry last season than Dalvin Cook, and I know that that's not necessarily indicative of overall running back
2: worth. Right. But value, it shows his potential but... to what you're saying. You know.
1: And w- w- there it is. There it yeah. is. Four point six yards per carry for Alexander Madison. Four and a half for Dalvin Cook. And, and look, uh, Dalvin Cook had 37 receiving yards per game. Madison only had 6.3 receiving yards per game. But it's that Kubiak style that went from Terrell Davis to Orlando Gary to Mike Anderson, 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards. Just one guy goes down, put another guy in. And, and, and this is the reality of the position. The supply far outweighs the demands. I remember coming to this conclusion 15 years ago, watching the West Virginia games every week. We'd go to the home games, and every year there's a guy who – generates 13 14 1500 yeah. rushing yards for yeah. West Virginia and and he he looks the part he could play in the NFL he's got the build he's got the speed he's got the toughness he's got everything you need and every major college has a guy like that every year and there's only 32 NFL teams yeah that's and a lot great. of the teams already have their starting running backs so there's plenty of guys that can do that job and what happens is we get caught up in the name, we get caught up in the fantasy numbers, we get caught up in the touchdowns, we get caught up in the fame that goes along with the guy having 137 yards, rushing in two touchdowns on a Sunday night. And, yeah, and there's another guy on the roster who could do the same damn thing. Yeah. And there's a guy out there available on the street who could do the same damn thing. And, and I don't mean to take anything away from the skill set, but the reality is there's a lot of guys that can do that. Yeah, there is. And sometimes in a, in a business like the NFL, you have to acknowledge it and you have to just go with it. And that's what the Vikings seem to be doing in attaching a price to Dalvin Cook. We are going to draft, as I said. Go
2: ahead. I just want to ask you, like, if you're a running back, you're in Dalvin Cook's situation, right? It's something I've thought about before, right? And here you are. Yeah, we know you're getting there to the point of your career where, yeah, a little wear and tear on your tires, but you're also getting close to finally making some real, real money, life-changing, family-changing type money. You know, if you're him, would you rather go, you know what, Like, hey, Minnesota, just give me the ball this year and let me have a ton of, you know, touches and let me see if I can be the rushing leader and really put the squeeze on somebody out there in free agency or Minnesota to where you have to pay me. Or would you go, hey, Minnesota, you know, Coach Zimmer. You know, I'd I'd like to split the carries more with you know Alexander Madison this year. Just take a little wear and tear off. I think it might give me another year or two in my career to where I can collect some money there in that way. And instead of you know him having two fifty carries like last year and and Madison having a hundred, maybe they meet somewhere in the middle. You know what I mean? At at one fifty or one seventy five or something around there. I, I just find it curious. What 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 would your approach be?
1: Well, I think given his history. Yeah. Torn ACL right. week four of his rookie season. Not a real big job. Injury guy. issues in his second year. Right. Last year was the first year he really arrived on the scene in the NFL, and he had 1,100 rushing yards. Good, but not spectacular. I would want to emulate Derrick Henry from last and year. And go for it. Yeah. Okay. And go for it. Yeah. And go for it. Right. because look, look, Derrick Henry had to become the NFL rushing leader, and it still took months to get the contract That He had earned by doing so because the thing is running backs are always getting paid for what they've done. Yes, they rarely get paid for what they're going to do. When have we ever seen except for Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon is the one guy who got paid for what the 49ers thought he was going to do yeah. and what happened. Yeah, he still hurt. hasn't played in a right. game for the 49ers because he injured his knee in a practice a week before the start of the 2018 season, and then they had to do it all over again with the ACL last year because yep. it just didn't heal right. He's the one guy. Remember when they paid him? We were like, holy crap. Yeah. Jerick McKinnon's never done anything. He got paid on the way up. Most of these guys get paid on the plateau or the way down, but but that's what that's what – Derrick Henry was able to do, and I think if, I, if I'm Dalvin Cook, I say, I'm just going for it. Yeah. I, I'm going to force these people to pay me. I'm going to prevent them from letting me walk away. The Jaguars are trying to keep Yannick Ngakwe from walking away. They used the franchise tag, and Ngakwe wants out. He's wanted out. He's changed agents. And at this point, there's nothing you can do to get a long-term contract from the Jaguars or anyone else. Now, there's trade chatter that's emerging as it relates to Ngakwe, who has still yet to sign his franchise tender. This went down last year with Jadavian Clowney and the Texans. And it was right before the start of the regular season that Clowney was traded from the Texans to the Seahawks. But the Seahawks ended up paying a big chunk of his salary along with the Texans last year. The Texans had to pay like $7 million yeah. to get this guy off the books. Right. And I don't think the Jaguars are willing to do that. So the, the uh, Seahawks ended up giving up a second-round pick or a third-round pick. It was a third-round pick and a couple of players, Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo – to get Jadavian Clowney with the Texans paying a large chunk of the salary with that third-round pick. And, look, Jadavian Clowney, all due respect to Yannick Ngakwe, a healthy Jadavian Clowney is at a higher level or two than Ngakwe. And look at how that went down. And this talk of a trade, folks, it's not easy to accomplish at this point in large part because the team that gets Yannick Ngakwe cannot sign him to a long-term contract until after the regular season. And if you don't sign him to a long-term contract – you got to give him a twenty percent raise over this year's franchise tag to squat on him next year when the salary cap may only be one hundred seventy-five million. It's just not an attractive deal unless the Jaguars are basically giving him away, Chris.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's not. You know, they're they're you're in a tough spot because you know the the times we've seen the you know franchise tag you know do that, make a deal and trade. We saw D Clark, you know D Ford, Frank Clark. We saw that happen, you know, last offseason, right? But those were, especially D. Ford, it happened early on in the offseason. I mean, I want to say I believe he was franchise tagged and then like a week later was traded to the San Francisco 49ers. And then Frank Clark, I believe, was a little bit after that. But that was still in a time where teams were still trying to formulate their rosters and all that. Now, this was a different offseason because of COVID and everything like that. And I think people were tight with the money and not sure what to do or how to play this whole thing out and what was going to happen. So that time, you know, came and went. And now here we are, you're right, to where it's too late. you know. And I posed to you before we start the show, I said, could they rescind the franchise tag in any way? But, but that wouldn't make sense either because I would figure that would probably be what you would do, but then he would be a free agent too, so then he could sign with anybody. So I guess you can't do that. But, yeah, they're stuck here. And, like, You know, I see people online, too, Mike. I mean, I think your point is amazing, and I do think people forget it. I forgot about it a little bit to a degree. Like, oh, yeah, damn, if you trade for him, you can't have him do a long-term deal. That's very risky. That totally kills his trade value. Like, totally kills it to where, yes, you said it. He's not Jadevian Clowney, and I would think unless Jacksonville wants to pony up paying some of that money, there's no way they're going to get anything better than a third-round pick at the very best, right? That, that, that's the way at least I look at it because I think that deal last year what we saw will be something, you know, as far as a bar that's set with this type of situation.
1: $19.316 million is the salary that you inherit for Yannick Ngakwe this year. And with no ability to sign him to a long-term contract – what you are looking at after the season is a long-term deal with a starting point of $23.18 million. in a year where the salary cap may be $175 million. So it's a one-year rental of Yannick Ngakwe. With that said, what are you giving up for a one-year $19.316 million rental of Yannick Ngakwe? I don't think you're giving up a second-round pick. Chris, and that's the no. the selection that's been thrown around out there. No, you're not. I mean, Mike. if all the Seahawks did was give up a three, right. And they didn't even have to pay, pay the full, full salary; freight. they paid right. half the salary, right? Right. So if you're paying the nineteen three, uh, you're you're giving up. Well, I don't. I, look it it becomes it becomes something so low that the Jaguars have might no not reason do it. Do it, yeah. And if they and if they rescind the tender. Here's the thing. Yeah. Remember when the Panthers rescinded the tender Josh from Norman, Josh Norman, right? They did it just before that window where you, you still get a compensatory draft pick. If a guy leaves as a free agency, gotcha. that's the downside for the Jaguars yeah. at this point, if they rescind that tender and, and I may have to go back and confirm this, but again, the fact that the Panthers did it when they did it suggests that there is that that deadline does apply to the franchise tag that if you rescind it now, and he signed somewhere else, you don't get a compensatory pick next year. That's a factor in this. The Jaguars have shown no inclination to trade Yannick Ngakwe, just like they showed no inclination to trade Jalen Ramsey. But what happened? They got offered two ones and a four. Yeah. That changes your mind. They've never been offered anything that would change their mind about Yannick Ngakwe, and I think they believe when push comes to shove, he's going to show up and collect his $19.3 million. But, Chris, you raise a good point. Maybe they wake up one day and they say, you know what? with the pandemic, no fans this year. Maybe we'd rather keep that 19.3 million. Maybe we'd rather keep that cap space and roll it to next year. Maybe we don't want a guy who doesn't want to be here and we'll just rip the band-aid off and let him walk away and there's still a chance that could happen in theory. I don't know that it will. Yeah. There's still a chance that it could.
2: Yeah, no, it, you know. And, and then who's going to pay? And then well, who's going to pay him
1: 19.3 on that, the open market? That,
2: that yeah, exactly that's exactly it too, you know. And and you know, right right now we're in a in a spot where yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of clamoring from you know, especially for what we've said so far. You know, with the, the whole franchise and not being able to sign him to a long term deal. But again, most teams, yeah, I'm sure there's interest, but most teams are kind of set. So I think you know he is a guy that's it's going to take a team to look at their roster here over the next ten days and go, damn, we really need to do something about our defensive ends or whatever that may be. You know, and and I don't know where that goes. Listen, I, I look at a team just to throw a team at like Seattle. I, I still look at them and go, I don't know why. I just feel like they're going to get involved in this conversation and maybe try to pull off like a Jadevian Clowney type deal again and just go to hell with it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we do it. You know, I've heard the Raiders name involved in Yannick and Gawkway talk, but nothing like substantial enough to to think, ooh, it's getting close or anything like that. But, you know, after that, I, I don't know where he ends up and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, we've covered plenty of ground here to start this show. Yesterday, the NFL held a conference call
1: that covered plenty of ground regarding the current state of the COVID nineteen situation. We'll give you the highlights on where things stand, including the possibility of a postseason hardened bubble for the NFL. We'll discuss cool. that next here on PFT Live. Wednesday afternoon, the NFL held a. Conference call that uh, was very instructive on where things currently stand, Chris. And one thing that we've talked about that has been rumored, that's been reported on, and that was announced yesterday by NFL Executive VP of Football Operations, Troy Vincent there is an outside advisory committee that will be providing input to the commissioner on all things related to the competitive impacts of COVID 19, postponement of games cancellation of games, what it takes to cause that. And also, Troy Vincent mentioned the challenge of determining playoff seating if some teams aren't playing 16 games. Yeah. It sounds like the advisory committee is going to have an expansive role and tremendous influence. And, Chris, I'll say what we said last week. Yeah. The competition committee is not involved because of the obvious conflict of interest. Sure. The committee itself, and Troy Vincent declined. I asked Troy yesterday during the conference call who's on this committee. He declined to name the people out of respect to them. But it'll come out. It'll yeah, come I out.
2: know, I know. But Former yeah, coaches. Right.
1: The, the committee consists of former coaches, former general managers, former players. Here's the reality. If these are human beings who are connected in any way to the football industry, and clearly they are. They're former coaches, former GMs, former players. You're not going to completely avoid – the conflicts of interest. You're not going to avoid the relationships that may cause you to be anything other than truly objective, you're not going to find a jury out there that doesn't know any of the parties, that doesn't know any of the witnesses, that doesn't know any of the lawyers, and that's one of the things that you do when you're picking a jury at the outset of any trial. I've done it more times than I care to remember. You have to find out if anyone on the jury knows anyone who's going to be on the witness stand, who's going to be sitting at counsel table, who knows the judge, who knows anyone. Do they know each other? You want people in there who can make decisions, with no regard for what it may do to relationships that already exist. That is a, 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 a very underrated element of how this sausage is going to get made, Chris. And again, I don't know who's on the committee yet. I guarantee you that we will sooner rather than later. But you cannot detach these human beings from the relationships that they have. And by taking the competition, competition committee out of play, with an acknowledgment that there's a conflict of interest, it it invites the speculation hmm hmm i wonder if hmm, i wonder if they're going to do this guy a favor or you know this guy they're going to stick it to him cuz this guy doesn't like that guy i mean that's very real in any business and it's definitely real in the nfl so i don't know how i feel about this outside advisory committee being made up of people who are just not currently actively Part of the NFL.
2: Well, I know, but you know, you're you going to feel better if it's people that are, you know, nothing will get accomplished if it's people that are involved in the NFL right now. Then an extreme. No, 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 it will. It will. They
1: advise the commissioner, and he makes a decision, and he takes into account the the bias. If if this is or 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 just you recuse yourself from the competition committee and let the others on the committee handle it. That would be better, wouldn't it? Well, it yeah, but there's the always going to
2: have crossover.
1: Or it, hang on, hang on, okay. hang on, hang on. If it, but if it involves the Saints, or it, I know there's tentacles. And there's, yeah, there's going to be tentacles. You're going to be like, well, season well season.
2: they're in my division. That but team's it, not. So right. screw that team. I like that team. So right. you, So that's right. why I would just say I'd rather have the outside part. I, I know what you're saying. But right. here's the
1: thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. The commissioner is still the one who's making the decisions. And I think it comes down to the commissioner to make it clear to the people on the competition committee, this is bigger than your team. This is bigger than you trying to get to the playoffs. This is about the overall integrity of the game, and we need to come to conclusions that, that focus on the best interests of the sport. And maybe he can send that same message to this outside committee, yeah, but yeah. they're going to have similar biases and prejudices that the people on the committee will have. It just, the whole thing, it just makes me uneasy. And I want to see how it works. You know, Troy was kind of asked yesterday, what what will the standards be? Will there be factors determined ahead of time? I get the impression this is going to be, let's just address these circumstances as they come up. And and that is not conducive to the kind of consistency that is going to keep people like us from saying, why would you cancel this game, but not that game? Why did this team get a break? Because they didn't have any healthy offensive linemen and this team didn't get a break. That's what they need to avoid. You know, and and that's what I'm concerned is going to filter into this process, the perception of inconsistency. No,
2: I'm like, I, I hear your concerns totally. I do think you're avoiding some of those concerns by using an outside committee rather than guys that are involved in the game. I just think that won't look as good either. You know, I just think for the fans, transparency, everything. But, you know, again, we don't know the committee. But, you know, listen, Troy Vincent's a smart guy and he's got a good heart. And I don't you know, I don't think they're trying to find guys who, you know, are in this for the wrong reasons or, you know, or, or they want guys that are in it. I, cause I'm not. know. Say- I know. I'm not, I know. Look, Can you I'm just
1: not, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's a sleeper cell. But there was somebody who's, who's infiltrated this committee with the goal of taking over the NFL. I'm just saying the same prejudices and biases that will affect the competition committee are going to affect the human beings on this outside committee because but- they are still... Close, close enough to the game
2: to be on this committee. Right, right. But I I still think you can find the right guys out there that will have, yeah, w- right, they're going to root for their old teams or their old teams or their old coaches, but still can, like, look at things from the outside in and go, wait, here's the big picture of the great, you know, for, for the greater good of the NFL. You know, I think of just guys like, Hey, Derek Brooks, let's say him. Hey, we know he loves Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Derek Brooks is smart, loves football, loves the NFL. He is not going to be overly biased to, like, screw the NFL over just for Tampa Bay. Or, like, if you took, let's say, a guy like Mike Shanahan, who's been out of football for a while – you know, he... Huh,
1: you can't have no, Mike I shit know. Okay, that he's committee. a bad
2: example. Let's say Bill Cower, okay? Sorry, I was just trying to go to an ex-old coach who's out of the game, and I, you know, yeah, Mike's got Kyle, so that's not good. Let's go Bill Cower, all right? Let's <laughs> just say a guy like that. Like, Bill Cower's not going to, like, you know... Screw over his reputation in the NFL just so Pittsburgh can win a game or whatever thing like that. So I would think they could find the right guys to be a part of this committee that have the big picture of the NFL in mind and can cancel out some of those biases and do what's best for the league. You know, so I like right. the committee but idea, but I understand your concerns I, I still, and you're st- Dr. Doom and you're always thinking the worst thing possible. No, I'm not. Talk- <laughs> no,
1: I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Chris, no, no. Look, somebody's got to be concerned about the worst case scenario. Somebody's got to say, you know what? This could go off the rails before it goes off the rails. And I'm, I'm more concerned about the lack of standards. I'm more concerned about the potential lack of consistency because that is what will invite some speculation and or investigation as to whether or not someone was trying to help a friend or hurt an enemy, right? Even though you're not currently actively with a team. And I'd like to think the members of the competition committee have the integrity to set aside their own interests to do what's right for the league. They do that every year when it's time to come up with rules, right? Why yeah. can't they be expected to do it when it comes time to figure out what's right for the league when making these COVID nineteen decisions. So I, I just I There's just something about this process that doesn't sit well with me. And I think the main thing that doesn't sit well is the lack of any type of standards or rules going in because that sets the stage for, and here's, look, let's be realistic. This is something we talked about last week. Is it going to be a lower bar to cancel a game that is one of the cluster of games at 1 PM Eastern on Sunday than it is to cancel a primetime game?
2: I I mean, I know you're right. Right.
1: Yeah, because the prime time hey, the prime time game goes away. We gotta rebate the network for that, that hole in their programming right. that night. We don't have other games that can be televised. You know, if it's a one o'clock game, well wait the markets that we're gonna get that game, get a different game. Well let
2: me just say this though. Like here there's no fans in a lot of these games this year. What's what you know, what, why not be it doesn't be able matter. To, well, Hold on a second, honey, Chris. I, can you just let me finish one sentence during this damn segment? Okay. All right. Here we go. No, there's one o'clock games. If there's no fans in a year like this, why can't the NFL? Oh, we've had a COVID-19 outbreak at, you know, seven o'clock on Friday night for our Sunday night football game. Why can't the NFL call the teams that one of the teams that one, two of the teams at one o'clock and go, we're moving your game from, there's no fans. We don't have to tell them. We're moving your game to 1 to 8 o'clock Eastern now. You're on Sunday Night Football. Congratulations. Hang up the phone. That's the year we're in. Screw off. Sorry. I kind of like that. That's another good one.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. And, and, and we've we've brought that up. Yeah. The reality that these games can be shifted they around. They can, right? Pretty easily. We see it. We see it. Or we used to see it more when baseball and football teams were in the same stadium. Team gets to the World Series. Sunday game becomes a second Monday night game. I remember a Broncos Vikings game in 1987 that was an alternate Monday night game because the twins were hosting a game in the world series.
2: I remember that on
1: Sunday and it got bumped to Monday night. So you can have two Monday night games. You can have games that get shifted around depending upon when the outbreak is. And I think that's what that committee is going to be advising the commissioner. What's right to do here. And I think they're going to do all they can to get the games in. Yeah. When the time comes to determine to pull the plug on a game, whatever those factors and standards are there need to be applicable in every other situation or that's when the whole thing falls apart. That's what I'm concerned about. And I hope that there is a strong commitment to consistency in the application of those standards. Plenty of other things came out yesterday. We've got the stories at profootballtalk.com, including no cheerleaders, no mascots, no sideline reporters, nobody who has uh, anything other than a connection to the uh to the game itself all right we're gonna take a break more pft live coming right after this
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
3: There's no place
0: like the movie theater.
3: The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full-body experience, while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Pick me! Pick me! hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes... This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock.
1: Here's Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things in practice. The roll to the left, the throw, the flick of the wrist, just 65 yards. Chris, just another
2: day at the office. It's insane. It it really is. I mean, first off, yeah, the velocity he can create, the power he can create in an awkward position. And then, like, I've never seen a guy be more accurate with stuff like this. I mean, it's just unreal. It's like there was a magnetic field that just went from his right hand to McCole Hardman's chest there. That was McCole Hardman, right? Am I right about that? Um, or no, I that was right no. not that it. was. Like was uh, no, that wasn't. I don't think that was. Um, but either way, number eleven. Number it, eleven. It's amazing. I don't have
1: my Chiefs. I don't have my Chiefs flip card in front of no, me. No, I think it's 11. Demarcus
2: Robinson, right? He was the uh, guy that had a few drops in the Super Bowl and things like that. But uh, just yes. amazing. I've never seen a quarterback who can throw like he can in those weird positions. And just you go, oh, that's lucky, except he's done it 199 times in a row. And you just go, no, he's that damn good. It's unreal. And Andy Reid, the head coach of the Chiefs, the beneficiary of the presence of Patrick Mahomes for the
1: next 12 years in a Chiefs uniform. Our Peter King had a chance to talk to Andy Reid as part of Peter's training camp tour about Patrick Mahomes. Here's some of their discussion.
0: You know, Mahomes is such an interesting guy because he has really become a team leader. You know, he's your, of all things, he's your player rep. He, you know, wants everybody in the locker room to vote. He wants to lead black lives matter. He, he wa- and yet, you know that he's going to work as much as he needs to work to be great at his job. And I wonder what happened this off season with you and him. Tell me what it was like to work with him sort of virtually Instead of you know, man to man in the same room, um, and and take me into some of the stuff that you and he did this off season, basically to try to be better.
4: Yeah, so I I, I used to wear them out with these old three by five cards. You've seen those, and um, I'd walk down to the quarterback room and I'd say, Hey, you think we can get this thing done right here? And and it was kind of a fun thing that we did. So that was you know, there'd, there'd be a, there'd be a play on the card there'd be a play on the card. Yeah. 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 And, and so, uh, we didn't have that opportunity, but we had an opportunity to do it virtually and we kind of kept that going and, and we shared it with the rest of the guys. We shared it with all the positions. And so you, you know, would take a three by five card with a play. Well, say, I, you guys think we can guys, do this. Yeah. My, my guys here, the coaches, they, they put it on the, you know, they make it look good. So yeah, yeah. I give it to them and then they, they draw it up nice. Uh, so it's a little different, but, we, we shared it with all the guys we, and, and the guys got into that. And, and so my, my thing with Pat is he loves, he loves ball. He's a good guy. I mean, just a good person and and very competitive and wants to get better every day. I mean, it's, it, it, that's, that's how he does it. And and so the, the players know it. He's not, um, you know, you named all of the things he's involved in, but, He's still a guy, he's, he's one of the guys that, um, that has a lot of responsibility and he's able to handle that and, and, and be the leader of the football team and make everybody around him better and come to work with a great attitude. You don't get this huge fluctuation in personality, you're going to get the same guy and uh, he just wants to go out and, and dominate.
1: You can see the entire interview between Andy Reid and Peter King at com slash NBC Sports. Patrick Mahomes is just the total package. Yeah, and the is. icing on top is the deal that ties him to Kansas City for 12 years. He's going to cash every check of that contract until they give him another one. You never let a guy like Patrick Mahomes go. He comes around once every 100 years. And uh, uh, I don't want to be over the top on it. No, you're
2: not, Mike. It's, it's accurate. It's accurate. accurate. It is. It is. We we've never seen anything like it. And then the attitude and the way he is on and off the field and everything about it. It you know. It almost seems too good to be true. It really does. He I mean he's about perfect. He really is. And uh, it, and I love he's not afraid to put himself out on a pedestal and you know talk about some subjects that are not exactly always really really popular to talk about. But he's willing to be that guy and, and, you know, be a leader that way. And I, I really respect him.
1: It seemed too good to be true that the Chiefs would have 21 of 22 starters back as of week one, a couple of guys on offense. Opted out. Loren DuVernay Tardif and Damian Williams gone for the year. Now, Brashad Breland confirmed yesterday he has a four-game suspension. He'll serve to start the season. It's a little confusing. There must have been a substance abuse policy issue predating the current CBA that was in the pipeline that was right. not yet resolved. And that is claiming the first 25% of the season for him. There was an arrest in April that is still lingering. marijuana possession, Driving with an open container of alcohol, there could be a separate punishment for Breland at some point down the line Man. once that is all processed. So we've got to keep an eye on that. But, yeah, it's, uh, look, they still have Mahomes. And uh, that's really all that matters for the Kansas City Chiefs at this point because as long as they have him, they are going to be contenders and they probably will be getting their fingers on more Lombardi trophies in the years to come. In the show to come, plenty still to discuss. I had a conversation yesterday with the new Washington football team president, Jason Wright. Among other things, I floated past him, Chris, my theory that if the team does well, they'll keep their current name, which isn't a name at all. That's coming up here on PFT Live. There's the new Washington helmet. We love the helmet. We like the name that isn't a name. And we like their new president, Jason Wright. Had a chance to talk to him at length yesterday. Here is some of what we discussed. The way that the things happened with the name change, initially the decision to change the name once the new name is determined, and then the decision to go with Washington football team as the placeholder for some undetermined period of time until the new name can be selected. I got a theory. Okay. And, and, and I, it, I, I feel like it's working. The name is working. The uniforms are awesome. Uh, my theory is this. If the team does well this year, that name's not going away anytime soon. That's a more limited and narrow hypothetical. But can you see a set of facts where the end result is, you know what?
5: We're, we're good with Washington football team. We're good with this look. We're going to ride it out for a few more years. Yeah, I mean, all things, all things are on the table. And I think that's perfectly fair. That's actually, you know, to your point, a much more narrow hypothesis and fair. like It could absolutely go that path. But I think uh, along that way, we're going to be engaging fans substantively. We're going to be engaging players substantively, sponsors, the staff. And, and, and frankly, and I don't have it quite in my head yet. I know our marketing team has thought through this much more than me, given I'm, you know, in day negative four whatever it is. Um, but engaging the DMV, the leaders and influencers in the DMV community more broadly are going to have input on that as well. But, yeah, that could absolutely be the pace. I mean, I, you know, there's a little bit into, into me that people will find out a lot. And you'll follow. If you, if you actually scroll my Twitter, you'll see that I'm quite the uh, European football fan um, in the background. And that's that's a perfectly fine name, right? In that in that world, it's a perfectly fine name in that world. So it's not anathema to me, but it's not going to be my decision by any means. It's going to be a community based decision, and and we'll see where we land. Anytime I hear DMV, I think Department of Motor
1: Vehicles. He's talking about DC, Maryland, Virginia area. They really are keeping the community involved. I was wondering I've seen on their Twitter page. Different names getting thrown out there. Look, have some fun with it. Exhaust all possibilities. Turn over every rock, and then eventually make the right decision. But if the team is successful with the current name, which isn't a name, and the current uniforms, which are indeed awesome, why change it? People will you. fall in love with it. You could whatever the name is. If the team is successful, people will like it. And this isn't. It's just for. It's just so amazing to me, Chris. They were as low as they could have been with all the stuff that's gone on. And it just it's like it just turned. It did. And it's it feels like everything they're doing now is is the exact opposite of everything they've done for twenty years. And it all feels like it's working and it's falling together. And I hope it continues because those fans deserve it. After twenty one years of dysfunction, they deserve the opposite of dysfunction.
2: Yeah, no, they do. And you well, there's been some positive stories. I mean, we like the uniforms, we've liked the helmets lately. Yeah, you hire Jason Wright. You know, the first black man to be a team president, those things. I mean, that's positive stuff. So, yeah, when you call – and then Alex Smith, that success story. So it has been a little bit of a positive thing around Washington right now. I'm with you, Mike. I like the Washington football team. I mean, I think it's kind of cool. And, you know, know, success or not success, I, I hope people can get behind it. He made a good example about European football. I mean, it's not that crazy. When the next hour of the show begins, we're going to stay in the NFC East with the Eagles' state of the franchise. More PFT Live
1: right now.